We're going to step out of Mark for this Sunday. We've been in Mark and we are pursuing Mark one text at a time, moving through the book. We're in chapter 9. We'll be in chapter 9, verse 14, probably next week. But this week I just want to take a break and study something else with you this morning. So I hope hope it will be a blessing to you. It has been a blessing to me as I've looked at this throughout the week. And we're going to be looking at the supremacy of the Scriptures The supremacy of the scriptures. If you have a bulletin on the inside, left-hand side is an outline. You can follow along. And we'll be looking at several different passages this morning as we examine the supremacy of the scriptures. Listen, our middle name is Bible. We are Summit Bible Church. And we chose that name for a reason because the Bible or the Word of God or the scriptures, the Holy Writ literally is what that is, are the foundation of the church. And they are the foundation, or should be, must be, the foundation of the Christian's life. So our focus, our primary focus here, is to build this church on the Word of God. That means everything we do has to come from the Word of God. Be centered in it. Be endorsed by it. Not contradict it. It is the Word of God. Unfortunately, beloved, the enemy has done an incredible job of distracting Christians from the Word of God, the Scriptures, the Bible. And as a result of that, even the church... You know, I was thinking about this. I, I'm going to get lost here in time because I just have so much. So I can't even talk straight. I have so much I want to say to you. But I can't, Senior, because I cannot do what I did last week. I can't do it. But I was thinking about Snoopy. You know when you watch Snoopy at Christmas time and he does the whole Christmas story? Do you know he quotes Luke in that cartoon? He quotes Luke. That's a far cry from the cartoons that we have on today. He quotes the very Word of God. Our culture as a whole has moved away from the Word of God. They are very unfamiliar with it. And sadly, Christians to some degree even have moved away from the Word of God. Why? Because the churches they attend, sadly, to some degree, have moved away from the Word of God. And as a result, beloved, we lack discernment. We don't even know what's right or wrong anymore. We call good evil and evil good. So we have a, we have a hard time even wrestling with, is that okay? Is that okay? Why? Because we don't know the one who made morality. Who determined what is right and what is wrong. I don't get to do that. God has done that, and it is revealed in His Word. Beyond that, beloved, we don't even know what's wrong theologically or doctrinally. We don't. And I'm I'm making broad statements, I know that. But in general, I'm talking about in generalities. When you look at Christianity as a whole, most do not know what is right or what is wrong. They did a Gallup poll, and they said 50% of those who claimed to be Christians did not know who authored the Sermon on the Mount. And if you don't know that, that's okay this morning. But it's something that you would expect maybe a Christian would know who authored the Sermon on the Mount. Some people believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. Now, if you don't know who Joan of Arc is, that's okay too. But it was definitely not Noah's wife just because she has Ark in her name and Noah was familiar with an Ark and uh, the two don't go hand in hand. And, you know, I... There is humor. I think it's funny too to some degree, but it also saddens me greatly because we're not talking about unbelievers. I'd be cool with unbelievers not knowing 
I'm not okay with it, but I would expect it. That they don't know the Word of God? Of course not. But believers, followers of Christ? Unfortunately, beloved, you know what we're familiar with? <laughs> you know what we know? We know our secular books and publications. We know our television shows. We can name everybody on the television show. We can talk about every series and what went down. We know everything about our favorite sports team. We know about secular books. We know about politicians. We know about politics. We know about entertainers, right? But when it comes to God's Word, I don't know. There are 66 books. I, I didn't even know that. I, you know, just even that, simple stuff. This is the boat the church is in. So, by the way, I see this just in the fact of how people pick churches today. People now... Generally speaking, again, I'm making general statements and I know that. It's not true for everyone. People generally look to see what type of programs the church has. They have stopped asking the question, what does the church teach? So you know what? Churches stop putting up their doctrinal statements on websites or they put in a very small five-sentence doctrinal statement because they know nobody cares. What they're looking for is, does that church, will that church satisfy me in the sense that they have good programs, a good building, a good kids program? You know, all those things are wonderful. They're fantastic. I'm for that. I think we should have good stuff. But listen, if the doctrine is not right, if they're not teaching from the Word of God, then none of that stuff matters. I'd rather take a, a church that has nothing, but at least they're trying their best to hold to the Word of God and they're building their lives on that Word I'd rather attend that place. That's where I'd rather be. And that's where I'd want my wife to be and my children to be. I could, honestly, I could care less if they're having a great time, my children, as long as I know they're getting fed the truth. But if they're just having a good time and the truth is nowhere to be found, that's not going to help them in the least when they encounter the world as they grow up. Now, if they could have a great time and get the truth right on, that's good too. And that's what we're shooting for. Listen, the world has changed, beloved, and I'm not telling you anything you don't know. You guys know Charles Dickens, maybe? Hey, Yvonne. Oh! <laughs> Welcome, my friend. Welcome, my sister. By the way, I feel really good today because Ray's in the front. That's where he belongs. Yvonne just walked in the back door. I'm ready. I'm ready, senior. Charles Dickens, you might know him. He wrote The Christmas Carol been redone several times. He's written, written other things also. He lived in the 19th century. Here's a quote from him. And I, I understand. I get these quotes from sources and sometimes I'm not sure that these people actually said this. But whether they said it or not, I still like the quote. Okay? So we'll go with this. 19th century. said, The New Testament is the very best book that, ha, ha, that ever was or ever will be known to this world. This is one of the greatest writers of his time. Writing Oliver Twist and the Christmas story and Christmas Carol. How about George Washington, our first president? Listen, I, these men weren't perfect men. They were flawed men. They were flawed men. But I'm just judging what, the, what they said. Here He said, It is impossible to rightly govern the world without God and the Bible. How about Abraham Lincoln? I believe the Bible is the best gift God has ever given to man. All the good from the Savior of the world is communicated to us through that book. Who talks like that anymore? How about Woodrow Wilson? 
Not too long ago, 90 years, 80 years, 1913 to 1921, he ruled as our president. Here's what he said. Quote, I ask every man and woman in this audience that from this day on they will realize that part of the destiny of America lies in their daily perusal of this great book, referring to the Holy Bible. Wow, we've come a long way, haven't we? Do you know, going back, that the Word of God was so supreme in people's lives? Listen, we, me, you, us, together, we have a hard time now just making time to read. Just read through the Word of God. Just open it and read it. Weekly, daily. For, for many people, I know this is true, for many people, Sunday is the only time they will read the Word of God because the pastor tells them to open it during the service. And this is not a guilt trip or anything. It's just, it, it should not be that way. And we are missing out big time. We have a hard time just reading the Word of God. These men would memorize huge portions of the Word of God. And I've had people tell me, and I know it's difficult. I have a hard time memorizing Scripture. I do too. It is hard. But you know those songs that you listen to in your car? You know, the secular ones? And you hear them and you can still play them in your mind even when you've left that. In fact, you, the song comes on, you know the Word even though you haven't heard it for, I don't know, a few months, a few years. Somehow you memorized the words of that secular song. You know how you did it? Just repetition over and over again. You know why else you did it? Because you love that song. That song got into you, right? That's what the Word of God has to do. You've got you to gotta realize what the Word of God is. It is everything. It is a gift from God to His people. You've got to love it. You've got to get it into you. I've got to get it into me, beloved. Listen to this, Tertullian. You may not know these names. It doesn't matter. These are old, far, long ago Church bigwigs. I guess that's the best way I can say it. So Tertullian, he devoted his days and nights to Bible reading so that much, so much, so that he learned much of it by heart, even its punctuations. What? Biza could repeat all Paul's epistles in Greek at age 80. He wrote 13 at least. 13 of the New Testament letters. That's the epistles. He could repeat all of them, not in English, or Latin, or whatever, in Greek. He memorized them. Kramer could repeat the entire New Testament from memory, learning it on his journey to Rome. Whoa. We have a hard time memorizing anything, actually anything from the Word of God. Uh, you know what? These men had an impact because the Word of God had an impact on them because they poured it into their hearts, their minds, their souls. They were saturated in it, soaking in it. We soak in so many things that in the end just really don't help us out at all. Really, guys. We do. We do. So this morning we're going to look at three truths. Quickly. We're going to look at three truths about Scripture that we must believe and adopt so that our Christian lives might honor and glorify God. Today's message I have intended to keep it simple, but I hope it will be significant to you and that you'll get something out of it. So the first point we're going to look at, the first truth about Scripture, is examining the Scriptures is our duty. Our duty, our responsibility. Acts chapter 17. Uh, page 926, if you're using one of those Blue Church Bibles. We're going to look at Acts 17 as our first verse this morning. 
and looking at verses 10 and 12. Examining the scriptures is our duty. So the text says the brothers, these are Christian brothers, immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. Then when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Here's a little background information because we just kind of jumped right into this text. Prior to being sent to Berea, this place where they are, Paul was telling people in Thessalonica, which is a little northeast of this area, he was telling people about Jesus. And this was Paul's practice, as we see here in Berea. He would enter a city and he would find the synagogue. The synagogue was the Jewish place of worship. It was like their church. So he would find that place. And he would begin preaching Jesus to those Jewish people or even the God-fearing Greeks who were gathered there. Now, just look up a few verses in Acts 17 to chapter, chapter 17, verse 2 and 3. And I'll read this for you and you can see it. It says, And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, so he took, that's three weeks, three Saturdays, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. Is the Christ. Jesus, as, as you know, at this point had been crucified and died. And the report of his resurrection had spread among the population. It was known by many, but the majority of the Jews had yet to place their faith in Jesus as that Christ. If you've been with us through the book of Mark, you know even the disciples are wrestling with the idea that the Christ would somehow suffer and die. They did not see that, which would require two comings, not one coming. And so Paul is saying here, This Jesus, the one who died and resurrected, I'm trying to show you from the Scriptures, He really is the Christ. He is the one that God had promised would come. That's what He's doing. It's that simple. So from the Scriptures, He worked hard basically to prove to those who would listen to Him that Jesus was the Anointed One or the Messiah they had been waiting for. Some Jews, it says, believed. Some believed. But others became angry with Paul and his message and they formed a mob to hunt him down and chase him out of the city. That's when he's in Thessalonica. These Jews, beloved, were simply unwilling to look at God's Word to see if there was any merit even, any truthfulness, any reality to what Paul was trying to show them from the Scriptures. That would have been the Old Testament. Specifically, this Jesus you must bow to and worship because He is and was the Christ that God promised through the Old Testament. The problem is, beloved, the people, many of them, had already made up their minds about Jesus and apparently didn't want to be confused by the truth of God's Word. Did you hear what I just said? We have people like that today. They've already made up their minds about God or Christianity and I don't want to see the facts. I don't want to be confused by the truth because that's what the Word of God is. I don't want to hear that. I want to stay where I am. Paul and his partner Silas escaped from Thessalonica, escaped from this mob during the night, 
and they head 50 miles southwest to the city of Berea, which is the text we were looking at. When they arrive there, guess what Paul does? The same thing he did in Thessalonica. He comes there, he enters into the synagogue. But this time, the result is very different than what happened in Thessalonica. Go back to the text now. Acts chapter 17, verse 11. Read it one more time. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. Paul said the Jews in Berea were more noble than those in the city that they were just kicked out of. They were more noble. Why? Because their response to the Scripture, to the Word of God, was marked by excellence. Their response was marked by excellence. It says they were eager to hear. Eager. You know, like when it gets closer to 12 o'clock as I'm talking and you get more eager to get out of here and eat because of that desire in your tummy? They were eager to hear the Word of God. They wanted to hear it. And Paul's explanation from the Scriptures. In other words, they didn't immediately reject his message based on some popular opinion in the Jewish community, but they were willing to listen and be open to learning what Paul had to say. See, in Thessalonica, they immediately rejected it. Because the popular opinion among the Jewish community was Jesus was not the Christ. He was an imposter. And they went with that. But these Jewish people were willing to listen because Paul was using the Scriptures. At the same time, beloved, they wanted to make sure what Paul was saying actually came from the Scriptures. That Paul himself wasn't making this stuff up. Look back at uh, verse 11. It's, it says, These Jews were noble. They received the Word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. They examined them. Their ears were opened and their minds remained engaged and they were ready to put anything Paul said to the test by comparing it to what God's Word actually says. As a result of their diligence to dig into the Scriptures and discover if what Paul was saying about Jesus was actually true, the text says many of them believed. Now this is really cool. I'm going to tell you a phrase. I love this phrase. I've used it many times. A man convinced against his will is of the same mind still. A man convinced against his will is of the same mind still. What that simply means is, if I just, if I just use, I don't know, persuasion and, and great oratory skills and emotional drive and, and some good music, and I convince you to believe something, but you don't believe it based on coming to that conclusion on your own, in the end, it won't stick. It won't stick. You'll go back to your old way. These people didn't just take Paul's word for it. They didn't just hear the Apostle Paul. And by the way, this was no small man. He was the Pharisees of Pharisees. He would have been someone to listen to. But that wasn't enough because Paul, as great as he was, was not the final authority. It was the Word of God that was the final authority. And these people went to the Word of God, and you know what happened? They became convinced themselves of what Paul was saying, and then they believed. In other words, it was their faith. It wasn't Paul's faith. You see this all the time in Christian homes where 
parents rightfully indoctrinate their children with the Word of God. Right, yeah, absolutely. But at some point, that child needs to believe that for themselves. It needs to become their faith. It can't be a borrowed faith from mom and dad. They have to come to grips with what the Word of God is saying. And that's what these people did. And when they examined it, it says they believed. They believed. So let's a little bit of application here. We, beloved, should not reject a teaching. Just I'm going to say this slowly because I want to make sure I don't confuse anybody. We should not reject a teaching claiming to be from God's Word as false unless we know or can see it does not agree with or come from God's Word. Even if initially it challenges popular opinion or personal beliefs. We have a duty to examine the Scriptures first. So, listen, what Paul was saying would have been shocking. That is something that they had not heard, necessarily, or heard it from the Scriptures. They were still under the impression that Christ would come back, rule and reign, no suffering, no death. They didn't get all that. Now Paul is showing them, you've missed it. It's here in the Scriptures. I can show you. But they were willing to at least set aside their beliefs for a moment and see if their beliefs matched what the Word of God said. And because they were willing to do that, beloved, they believed the truth. I promise you, if I haven't already, I will say something from the Word of God that will challenge a popular opinion in our culture, maybe even in church culture, or a personal long-held belief you've had. And here's what you need to do. Examine the Scriptures for yourself. You need to do that. Do that. Don't get angry. Don't form a mob. (laughs) Please. (laughs) Churches do this. It's called church splits. They form a mob and they either kick the pastor out or they take half the congregation with them. And sometimes it's necessary. But other times, often, it is not because they don't like a particular thing, because they were unwilling to really examine the Scriptures and they were offended because the pastor said something coming from the Word of God. Beloved, we have to examine the Scriptures. That's first. And even if long-held beliefs have been challenged from the Word of God, examine it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. Don't take any man's word for it. Examine it for yourself. See it coming from the Word of God. Then, and only then, will you believe and be changed and righted in your thinking and in your actions and in your life. Second, we should not accept a teaching, and this is probably more important to some degree, we should not accept a teaching claiming to be from God's Word unless we can see that it agrees with God's Word, even if it confirms popular opinion or long-held beliefs. So this is typical. We hear someone speaking and maybe they're saying something that we've always thought we immediately assume they're telling the truth. Did they get it from the Word of God? Or is it just something you've heard for a long, long time and now you think it is the Word of God? You'd be surprised, beloved. Often when I ask people about particular doctrines or teachings, and they question me about that, I said, that's, that's your position, fantastic. Where do you find that in the Word of God? And many times they really don't know. And the reason why they don't know is they've never really examined it for themselves. They've just heard a man that maybe they've trusted or they've respected, and he said this and he said that, so they believed. Don't do that. 
Senia, I know you like me. I know you do. But I would tell Senia, you examine the scriptures for yourself. What if I lose my mind? What if I've already... I think some of you are going, I think you've already lost your mind. <laughs> yeah, Senia, because I'll need you to come back and, and just say, I'm not sure about this. I don't, I don't know where this is. Can you help me with that? Maybe... Another brother or something, I say, I don't know what you're, can you help me? Maybe I have to be corrected. Maybe I'm off kilter, right? We have a duty, responsibility to examine the Word of God. And in this culture, beloved, this is the scariest thing to me, is that there are voices, theoretically speaking, for God everywhere. They're all over the internet, they're all over the radio, they're all over the TV. And Christians are just consuming them without ever examining the Word of God really for themselves. So, the Scripture should have the final say in what Christianity is and what it isn't. That's the bottom line. Scriptures, not personal or popular opinion, should have the final word when it comes to what we believe and how we should live out our lives as Christians. And as I said before, the problem is, what happens though if Christians don't really know their Bibles and or don't diligently hold up the often imperfect and sometimes sinful thoughts, philosophies, and words of men to the perfect and holy words of God recorded in the 66 books that we call the Bible. If Christians won't do that, beloved, we're going to go off course quick. And I believe in many places we have. We have. And what ends up happening is we adopt thinking and actions that really don't honor and glorify the Lord. Because we took somebody's word for it instead of checking it out for ourselves. We have to be people of the book. And as I said before, don't take my word for it either. Examine the Scriptures for yourself. And that is one of the reasons we, we try to go back to the Word, look at the Word, and try to pull any message that we have from the Word of God. So... By the way, saying it loud or eloquently doesn't make it true. I know sometimes I get loud. Sometimes I really don't know why. Sometimes it's to make a point. (laughs) But you can be eloquent and loud and quiet. You can be a good orator and good communicator. That doesn't mean you're right. You understand? So just because they woo you, And they look good. I'm not saying that's me. I'm just saying, there's these guys on television. They look good. Nice suit, everything. That doesn't mean they're right, beloved. Is is the words coming out of their mouth actually describing what's going on in the Word of God? Or is it something else? Examining the Scriptures is our duty too. Teaching the Scriptures must be done carefully. We must move quickly. Chapter or or 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 15. Turn to page 995 if you're using one of those blue Bibles. Teaching the Scriptures must be done carefully. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul here, writing to Timothy, says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. You can leave that text up there for a bit. The background information here, because we're again diving into a text in the middle of a lot of text, Paul was writing to Timothy. 
Now, if you don't know who Timothy is, Paul had become Timothy's mentor. He was a, Timothy was a Christian, a pastor. And Paul had become his mentor in life and in Christianity. It is believed, we believe, that Paul actually helped lead Timothy to faith in Jesus Christ. Since he refers to Timothy as his beloved and faithful child in the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17, and 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2, and there are other ones. His child in the Lord. Paul loved Timothy. He loved him. And, and Paul loved the Lord. So he desired above all things that Timothy's life would honor and glorify God, who they both cherished and served, both Paul and Timothy. False teachers, beloved, those who pervert the Scriptures, that means they have a lot of truth sometimes, but they slip in a lie or a few more lies. We're everywhere. The false teachers were everywhere. When you read through the epistles, you see one warning after another, and you see one attack after another, false teachers. This is when the church just began. What, what do you think it might be like 2,000 years later? There is a lot of false teachers. There is a lot of false teaching. They pervert the Scriptures. They pervert God's Word to some degree. And Paul had done battle with these guys. And he had worked hard to counter all the mischief and harm that they were causing in the local churches that had been planted. Paul now was near the end of his life. He's locked up in a Roman prison, awaiting his execution by Nero. Paul knows his time on earth is short. We see that in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 6. So he wrote to Timothy, this young pastor of this church in Ephesus, to encourage him, beloved, to stay faithful and continue the good work that Paul had started there. This was in a very real sense a passing of the baton, like in a relay race. Paul was literally handing off the ministry to Timothy, saying, I've ran my leg of the race, my stage. Timothy, I'm finished. You run the next leg. In order for Timothy to do that well, beloved, he, like Paul, would have to be a man of the Word. Meaning he knew what the Scriptures said and he taught them with accuracy. The only successful way that someone is going to combat all of the false teaching that was infiltrating the churches was to make sure that the people were thoroughly saturated with the truth of God's Word. And to model a ministry that was centered on the Scriptures, the supremacy of them, the importance of them, the significance of them, that the church didn't set the Scriptures aside as second rate, but made them the most important part of what they do. So in light of all that now, Paul instructed his beloved son in the faith to make sure that he handled God's Word in such a way that God would approve of his actions and Timothy would bear no shame due to carelessness with the Scriptures. Look back at the text with me. It's still up there. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. Do your best, Paul says to Timothy, to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Do your best. The New King James Version, we use English Standard Version here, 
The New King James and the New American Standard Bible translate this, be diligent. Be diligent. In other words, make every effort. Work hard. Work hard for what? Work hard to present yourself to God as one approved. In other words, work hard to meet with God's approval or to please God. Please God in what? Please God in what? Please God in being a worker who has no need to be ashamed. Meaning, as an employed laborer or worker for God, work in such a way that you do not need to dread or fear embarrassment if your work is inspected because you have been diligent to make sure that your work was done with excellence. You understand? So far? Well, what is the work? What is the work that Timothy must do his very best at with a desire to please God and achieve nothing less than quality, than excellence? It is this. It was the work of rightly handling the word of truth. The word of truth, beloved, is God's word. It is the Scriptures. John 17, 17. 2 Timothy 3.16 That is the word of truth that Paul is referring to. Rightly handling is one word in the Greek. Rightly handling. It's one word in the original language. And you know what it means? It literally means cutting it straight. Or to make a straight cut. Now when, when we wrap presents, okay, I don't. Because I don't know anything about making a straight cut when it comes to wrapping presents. And my wife says you need a straight cut. That way when you fold it, it's nice and clean and it looks good. I don't care because I think it's a waste of time. They're going to rip it all off anyway. But my wife, she strives for excellence when it comes to wrapping paper stuff and things. She cuts it straight, beloved. Here, Paul is telling Timothy, when it comes to the Word of God, I want you to cut it straight. He's not talking about, you know, Handling in the sense of how we carry our Bible or, or how we store it or, or where we put it when we leave it at home. He's saying, cut it straight. Do not deviate from a straight line by getting crooked. Or to put it another way, present the Word of God in such a way that there is no perversion or distortion at any level. That's what he's saying. Timothy, that's what you must work hard at. Cut it straight. Why? Because this is not just any word, beloved. This is not a newspaper. This is not a a novel. It's not a magazine. This is the holy word of God. And those who handle it must do it with the greatest amount of care and diligence. Mediocrity or carelessness in this area is just not an option. Or let me say it, should not be an option for the, for the Christian. You know, you always see those packages, handle, well, you don't always see them, but on packages, sometimes you see the word handle with care. And that means, the UPS never pays attention to that, but what it means is, are there any UPS workers in here? All right, oh, okay. Well, most of them, uh, well, some don't pay attention to it. I, that's been my experience anyway. <laughs> I've seen them throw the, the, the box from the truck to my house out in the street. I've seen them do that. 
thought, wow, good shot. <laughs> that was excellent because those guys are in a hurry. Those, uh, anyway, handle with care usually means something inside is fragile. That, that's not the idea here. This is more like nitroglycerin. The Word of God is explosive and powerful. And if you don't handle it right, you can do some serious damage in the lives of people, in the lives of the church. That's the idea. Now, we are not all called to a public ministry of, of teaching God's Word as pastors, right? We're not all called to that. But we are, as disciples of Jesus, instructed to make disciples. All of us are called to that. Which means it will be necessary to some degree to teach others what we know about the Scriptures. Beloved, additionally, if you have children this morning, then you're supposed to be making disciples. You're supposed to be teaching and instructing them in the Scriptures. You can look up Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4. You can look up 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. You can look up Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 7 to get a little feedback there. What that means is we all need to work hard at getting God's Word correct. This is not just something that the pastor is supposed to do, although he certainly better do it. But it has applications, beloved, for every Christian. We cannot be, or we cannot afford to be careless when we open our mouths and begin to teach others from the Word of God. And so someone might say, well, I'll just keep my mouth shut then. This seems like way too much of a headache. But that's just not an option, biblically. Not for the Christian, not if you're supposed to make disciples. How are you going to make disciples without teaching them the Word of God? So instead, Christians need to work hard at learning how to properly study the Bible and then carefully applying what they have learned to uncover its actual meaning. Not what they want it to mean. Not what they need it to mean to prove their point, but what it actually means in order to cut it straight. Anything less, beloved, is shameful and it dishonors our God. It's shameful. The challenge we face today is too many Christians do not take this seriously and they seem to be okay with getting a C when it comes to handling the word of truth. Just average. That's okay. Just getting by. And so you hear things like this, Saturday night specials. Now, I know some of you, that's not a, it is also a reference to a weapon, but that's not what I'm talking about this morning. Pastors have this terminology. It's just ridiculous. They call it a Saturday night special. It means that you didn't get to the Word of God all week long. So Saturday, late into the night and into the morning, you bust out a message for your people, the people God has given you to shepherd and care for and love, for them to hear the next day. I have never given you a Saturday night special. And I never will. And anybody who would do such a thing does not see the supremacy of the Scriptures and the necessity for them to, to cut it straight, to teach it carefully, to see the power, the power that it has and how you can really mess up people's lives if you get this wrong. By the way, this is another thing we do. We rip verses out of context all the time. Beloved, that's not, that's not being careful. It is not okay, and I've said this many times, it is not okay to take a Scripture out of its context and give it a different meaning 
than what the author intended. And I know most people just don't even relate to that because it is done so often that people think it's okay. So they take Old Testament passages written specifically to a people group, such as the nation of Israel. And they begin to take that promise and apply it to themselves now in the 21st century. Beloved, that is not okay. That is not cutting it straight. That is playing willy-nilly with the Word of God. And yet it's done all the time. It's not okay to throw together a Bible study. i got people coming over. I'm going to do a Bible study. How long did you put into it? 30 minutes. That's not okay. And it's also not okay to hold on to and express unbiblical positions without knowing how to support them from God's Word. Now, I know that sounds funny. Well, how would you support an unbiblical position from God's Word? You wouldn't. But if you didn't examine the Scriptures, you never would have known that. And so we continue to put this stuff out because we heard it maybe. We picked it up somewhere. Our mom told us. Our dad told us. Our our wonderful grandpa and grandma told us. That's great. You know, they're, we love them. But if it's not from the Word of God, and maybe they picked it up wrong, and we've never examined the Scriptures for ourselves, we shouldn't keep repeating it. We need to be careful that what we're saying accurately represents what the Word of God says. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. Just take it to another level, beloved, the supremacy of the Scriptures. All right. And that's why, by the way, wow, time. Growth groups. We promote growth groups. We meet twice a week. I'm sorry. Sorry. Twice a month. Wow, that would be a lot. We meet twice a month. And one of the things we do there is we try to help people learn how to study the Bible. So yes, we're looking at the book of James, but in that process, we're like, well, how do you look at a text? How do you understand a text in its context? How do I understand language? What happens, beloved, is people go to the Bible and they forget everything they've learned about language and how to read because they think that somehow it's different. It is different in the sense that it has all the authority in the universe because God wrote it. But it is no different in the fact that it was written in a language to be communicated so that people who understand language could understand what the author was saying. It's not some mysterious secret. You have to have some special information from Joe over here, or Bob, or some spirit, to pick up what is being said. If you understand the language and the context, if you can understand how to read a sentence, and sometimes that's hard, if you can understand what's going on, you can understand what the Word of God is saying. You can. And people can be taught. You don't have to be a brainiac. You just have to approach it with humility and be willing to learn, and you can actually find out what the Word of God is saying for yourself. So in those group growth groups, I would encourage you, beloved, if you're not plugged into one, to find out a little bit more about that. And if you're wondering, I don't know how to study the Bible for myself, I would love for you to let me know that if you really want to learn. There are good books that could help you in this direction. But we've got to do the hard work. We've got to do the hard work. So examining the Scriptures is our duty. Teaching the Scriptures must be done carefully. I have so much more I'd love to say, but that's just not going to happen. Number three, studying the Scriptures is essential to our Christianity essential to our Christianity, beloved. This is the last passage, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So it's just right there, page 996.
And the Word of God, according to the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, recorded these words, all Scripture, all of it, every bit of it, is breathed out by God. Literally, God breathed. And profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Now listen, you and I know, probably I believe, that we've been saved by grace through faith in Christ and not by our works. Amen? We have been saved by grace through faith in Christ and not by our works. In other words, we cannot do anything to earn our salvation. Christ has done it all. It is a free gift of God that we must humbly accept. That is good news. But we also need to remember that God saved us for a purpose. Our salvation is not the end of our Christianity. Okay, I'm done. It's only the beginning. It is the door that we enter through that leads us to a radically different life. A life that seeks no longer to live for me, but to live for God and glorify God in all that I do. Whether it be in the workplace, in my home, in my neighborhood, in my life. It is a life, beloved, that ultimately is marked by God's grace and the good works that God has planned and prepared to accomplish through us. Now, everything I just said is in one passage that you're probably familiar with, and that's Ephesians chapter 2. Don't turn there, just look. Verses 8 through 10. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That means saved, redeemed. For good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, beloved, that is all well and good, but exactly how does God accomplish this glorious plan in our lives of working out these good works that He has prepared for us? And I will tell you, and you can examine it for yourself, that it is primarily through the continual reading, study, and application of His Word, the Scriptures. Now, I say primarily because active, an active prayer life and fellowship with other believers is also used by God to accomplish His purposes, to prepare us for good works, right? But those things themselves must also be informed by the Word or impacted by the Word. The reality is that when we pray, it's really aligning our will with God's will. That is prayer. Aligning our will with God's will. How do I know God's will? The Word. When we fellowship together, it's to encourage each other to continue in the Word, to live according to the Word. Everything is centered around the Word. At least that's how the Scriptures present it. God's Word. The truth is, beloved, there is no magic pill or quick shortcut that God has given to Christians to transform their lives into the people He has saved them to be. I wish there was. Because if there was, I would be writing prescriptions all day long. And I'd be taking heavy doses myself. Where's that good works pill? It just, where's that holiness pill? Where's that sanctification pill? Because I mean, we have a pill for everything else. The only thing is, there is no pill for this. God says, this is how it gets done in your life. The Word. We need to focus on God's Word like a baby 
feeds in the early months of his life. You know, we're recently grandparents, and so we've, it's been a while since we've had a baby in the house. And Judah, our grandson, has been, my wife's been watching him throughout the week. I'll tell you, there's nothing like seeing that kid be hungry. He knows, right? Because now he thinks he's on a four-hour schedule or whatever. He knows. He doesn't know how to tell time. But he knows when four hours is up. And when it's up, he is ready. And he's not taking no for an answer. He is hungry for his food. And that is how we need to be. Regular doses of God's Word poured into our lives. Hungry. I'm not taking no for an answer. It's been at least so many hours or days and I have not fed on God's Word. Oh, I need it bad. See, that's the approach we need to take. It is God's Word, beloved, not man's wisdom and philosophies that contains the power to change us and mold us into the likeness of our Savior Jesus Christ and make us ready for good works. You've got to believe that. If you don't, the Word will not be supreme in your life. If you do, the Word will be supreme in your life. And you will make changes to accommodate that. So back to the text, it says, 2 Timothy 3.16, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Paul is writing to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. He wants to make sure he understands how important the role of Scripture or Scripture is in his ministry and for the people he was taking care of or shepherding. So following this description of the power and usefulness of Scripture, right after this text we just read, here's what Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2. Preach the Word, Timothy! That's what he says. Preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. That means they won't put up with it. They don't want it. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and they will turn away from listening to the truth to wander off to myths, fables. Timothy, he's saying, Paul's saying, Timothy, have confidence in in the Word and its power to transform people's lives. And when people turn from it, and they will, to find some other form of teaching that entertains them and makes them feel good about themselves... Listen, if you want to feel good about yourself, go see a comedian. Go to a rock concert or something. I don't know. Go have a nice dinner. Go spend some time with your woman. That's not The Word of God is not here to make me feel good about myself. It's to challenge me, to change me, to convict me, to move me towards godliness, holiness, sanctification. Don't be discouraged, Paul's telling Timothy, but be faithful to follow God's method for accomplishing His will in people's lives. Timothy preached the Word. So back to the text, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching. Look back at it. Pop it back up there if we have it. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Quickly. Every bit of Scripture then, every bit, from Genesis to Revelation, and all of the books in between is profitable. You know what that means? Beneficial, useful. It has value. Right? It has value. And here's what it has value for. 
For teaching. You know what that means? That's simple. It just means helping Christians know and understand God's truth. We call this doctrine. Doctrine. God's truth. So it does that. You know what else it helps? It helps with reproof. See that? It's profitable. It's useful for reproof. That means it shows Christians where they have erred either in their thinking about God or Christianity or in the way that they are living. Both of which would be defined as sin. And God's Word helps us to see our sin and then turn from it. That's what it means. Second, for correction. This is the positive side of reproof. Reproof shows us where we have gone wrong. Correction teaches us how to get right. So either in our thinking or our actions. So like an example of this would be, reproof would be my wife telling me, no, this has never happened, <laughs> that I'm driving on the wrong side of the road. You are driving on the wrong side of the road. And then I acknowledge that. That's reproof. Correction is her showing me where the right side of the road is and me returning my car to that position. Reproof, correction. And then finally, simply, we're not exegeting this text. I'm just showing you quickly for training in righteousness. The Scriptures train us and teach us how to practically live holy and righteous lives. Lives that honor God and bring Him glory. One translation puts all of that this way. Just listen. It is useful for teaching us what is true. It is useful for correcting our mistakes. I would say sin. It is useful for making our lives whole again. It is useful for training us to do what is right. All of that is necessary, beloved, according to 2 Timothy 3.17, so that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Do you know what competent is? Have you ever worked with someone or employed someone who was incompetent at their job? Incompetence. It means they don't know what they're doing. It is frustrating to say the least, right? When someone doesn't know what they're doing, their work is typically a disaster. The results are usually not good. Okay? Paul says in order for a Christian to live well, he will need the Scriptures to teach him the truth, correct his mistakes, put him back on track, and show him how to do things right. Without a steady diet of the Scriptures, Christians become incompetent for God's business. That's it, guys. Without a steady diet of the Scriptures, Christians become incompetent. And then it says, competent so that we are equipped for every good work. Have you ever tried to do a job without the proper tools? Yes, right? Henry, it's frustrating, isn't it? You bet it is. Very difficult. And the reality is, there are some tools you cannot substitute. You know, like you may not have the right wrench, but you can make it work, right? But sometimes you get into a situation where if you don't have the right tool, you can't get it done. You can't. You are not equipped. I believe Paul is saying, Timothy, I know the work before you might seem incredibly difficult and even overwhelming, but if you will devote yourselves, Timothy, to the script, yourself to the Scriptures... They will supply you all the tools you will need to live for God and His glory. God is Sears divine. No one got that. But Sears is the place where men go and get their tools. So God is the ultimate Sears through His Word. 
through His Word. The Scriptures provide the tools you need to live the Christian life. And yet, beloved, we ignore them for the most part. And one time a week, that assumes you come every Sunday. One time a week's not going to get it. Alright, application. The point here is not to say, again, you probably heard pastors say this all the time, read your Bibles, you know, read your Bibles. You Christians, read your Bibles. Yeah, we know. That's not the, that's not the point I'm trying to make. It is the absolute necessity for us to regularly study the Scriptures in order to see real, positive, godly change in our lives and accomplish the good works that God has prepared for us to do. Beloved, it just won't happen any other way. And if it did, or it could, I would tell you. I would tell you. There is no other way to get at this. It is being in the Word of God. It is a constant Regularly studying, reading, saturation, focus on the Word of God. If you see studying the Scriptures as a burden or a chore to check off your Christian checklist, if that's the way you see the Scriptures, then, then I've missed it with you. I, I blew it somehow. I didn't, get, I didn't make it through to you. That's not what we're talking about. The Scriptures, beloved, are truly a gift from God. They're a gift. But if we leave that gift on the shelf or only use it occasionally, you and I are, are missing out on the full potential of this powerful book. So let me encourage you to pick it up every day if possible, open it, and begin to study it for yourself. And if you need help, we would love to help you. That's what we're here for. I guarantee you, you will not be left unchanged. I guarantee it. You cannot... Dive into the Word of God for any period of time and not be unchanged by it. This book is like no other book on earth. It is a caged lion, as one pastor once said. It is a caged lion. Let the lion out of his cage and you watch him work. He's powerful. So I trust you're here. I'm going to conclude now. I trust that you're here because the same reason I'm here, that you want your life to honor and glorify God. That's what I believe. I don't believe you're here wasting your time. I mean, it's beautiful outside. You could be doing a lot of other things. So in order for that to happen, in order for us to live lives that glorify God, that show Him off, that make Him look as good as He he really is, not to confuse people, but to convict people, of the truth of how awesome God is. In order for that to happen, we need to believe and adopt the truths that we've talked about this morning. We, we need to see that examining the Scriptures is our duty. It's our responsibility. Beloved, I'd even say it's a privilege. Teaching the Scriptures must be done carefully. We don't mess around with this. We pour our lives into this. Some hours, like we do into those video games. You know what, man, if our young people and older men would take their, the time they pour into Xbox and PlayStation and put it into the Word of God, this world would not be the same. It would not be the same. So I'm sure there's, I didn't want to just hit those guys. 
I'm sure there's some other things you other people might do that might suck up your life and they don't do anything really for you. It's just not the best way, beloved. And we must teach the Scriptures carefully and we must study the Scriptures because it is essential to our Christianity. Let me read you this story and I'll be done. The Pony Express was a thrilling part of early American history. It ran from St. Joseph, Missouri to Sacramento, California, a distance of 1,900 miles. The trip was made in 10 days. 40 men, each riding 50 miles a day, dashed along the trail on 500 of the best horses the West could provide. To conserve weight, clothing was very light. Saddles were extremely small and thin. And no weapons were carried. That's crazy. Because there were a lot of threats out there. They couldn't, they couldn't afford the weight. So they gave up self-defense. The horses themselves wore small shoes or none at all. That's crazy. The mail pouches were flat and very conservative in size. Letters had to be written on thin paper and postage was $5 an ounce. Now, that's a lot. That was a really a lot back then. Yet each writer carried a full-size Bible. It was presented to him when he joined the Pony Express. And he took it with him despite all the scrupulous weight precautions. Beloved, if we, if we could get that mindset, I need this book. This book needs to be supreme in my life. It needs to be supreme in my family. It needs to be supreme in my church. If we could get our minds around the supremacy of Scripture, we will never be the same again. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you again for uh, the patience of your people. Father, I pray that the, some of what was spoken today would, uh, Father, I, I pray it would honor you and glorify you to the degree that it would uh, encourage us and instruct us to see the value of your holy book, this gift, this incredible gift you have given your people, these 66 books contained in what we call the Bible. Father, no guilt trips here, but I pray that you would convict us where we have erred to this degree that, and that we would be encouraged to see what we're giving up by not pouring ourselves into the Word of God. And, Father, to see how dangerous it is for us and our families if we are not people of the Word. So, Father, help all of us to be convicted, to see that examining the Scriptures really is our duty, that we must teach the Scriptures carefully. This is not a game. This is the Word of God. We don't get to do with it what we want. And, Father, studying the Scriptures is essential to our Christianity, to our growth, to our ability to actually live for you. It's not going to happen any other way. And Father, may we dive in, may we, may we dine and feast on this book. In Jesus' name, amen.